to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. All right, well, if you have your Bible this morning, would you grab it and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 4? Matthew chapter 4. And if you're watching online, you're missing the the wonderful atmosphere that there is in the room this morning. But um, today we are beginning a new series, and uh, really I believe we have entered into a new season. You know, the first half of this year, we were very much focused on getting a building, and we saw God work a miracle. And I feel like we just need to continue to give God praise and glory and honor and thanksgiving for what He has done. Uh, just a miraculous provision. And, um, but I also believe that we're kind of moving into a new season as we've seen that happen. Uh, and we will, in the second half of this year, we are entering into uh, the, the building preparations and the renovations on that space. Um, but I also felt like in recent weeks, uh, last month, Jen and I went to Minnesota, and uh, which, by the way, it is a privilege to have my father-in-law here today from Minnesota and uh, visiting, visiting with us, and uh, we get to have him for just 24 hours. But we were in Minnesota and on their beautiful property uh, there in northern Minnesota. And I was just seeking God, saying, God, what do you have for us? We just purchased the building, and, and, and that felt like, you know, we've reached a major milestone. But I, I was also saying, okay, God, what are you saying for us as a church? And I felt like the Lord just brought this phrase, reforming community, reform community, back to my heart. And, you know, just as we are building the building uh, and, and making that physical place, I believe that God is preparing a people. So, so we're preparing the building, but God is preparing the people. And how many of you know that regardless of how beautiful a building is, if the people uh, aren't any different than the world around us, there's just no point in having a beautiful building. And so what God wants is not just a place, but God wants a people that, that have been formed together, built together to represent him into the world. And so that's what we are doing, even through our uh, shootouts and our, you know, skeet shootouts and our women's nights and our ice cream in the park and all of these things. It's just moments of connection for us to get together. And, and ultimately, I believe that what God is doing is God is building a culture among us. God's building a culture uh, among us. And, uh, you know, when God comes into our lives, uh, the Bible says that we become a new creation. And individually, we are new. We're not who we used to be. Who knows what I'm talking about? You're not who you used to be. Some of you, I look around the room and I've known you in the past, and you're not who you, you used to be. Who's grateful for that? I think we all should be grateful for that. But also collectively, it, that's, that's not just true individually, that's also true collectively. God wants us to be a, a distinct community from the world around us. God wants us to be a counterculture. Yeah. And, and when Jesus comes into our life, not only am I different, but we become different. We become, that would have been a good place to say amen. Not only do I become different, but we become different. Yeah. And that's good news when you look at the world around us. How many of you know that when you look at the world around us, you can't help but say, God, we need some help. Yeah. And we 
are, are intended to be as a community, not a community that just matches the world around us, but we are intended to be a community that is different than the world around us. That when the world is filled with anger, that we are filled with love and peace and joy. When the world is filled with confusion and anxiety, that we are at rest. When the world is arguing and dividing and hateful against one another. In the church, it should not be that way. Let me say that again. In the church, it should not be that way. We should be different than the world around us. We should be a counterculture. And as I was meditating on God, what you're, what you're wanting us to be, if you're, if you're calling us to reform community and you want us to be a counterculture, God, what, do you, what does that look like? And I felt like the Lord put the Sermon on the Mount on my heart, that there is no more beautiful demonstration of what God calls us to be than the Sermon on the Mount, And uh, so we are going to be starting today this counterculture series that is really a a, a survey through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to ask, what does it look like to be followers of Jesus that are a counterculture from the world around us? And so we're going to look at that. And uh, but today I want to give you a I'm going to give you an introductory message. But first, I want to give you a little assessment test. Uh, If you've ever had to go to a new class or maybe a new job, they do some tests in advance to kind of just see where everybody is, okay? And so we're going to do that today, a little test. Uh, Some of you, your anxiety is already going up. Relax. Uh, Remember, we're not a community of anxiety. We're a community of rest. But also, uh, you don't have to give your answers uh, publicly, okay? But, But here's what I want you to do. I want you to just write down a few questions. That, that I believe, you can write it in your phone if you're taking notes and uh, you're really sanctified, just write it in your notebook. Uh, but you can put it in your phone, write this down and um, write these questions down. And, and this is what I want us to meditate on. And this week I want you to meditate on this. And in the weeks ahead, as we're thinking about counterculture, here's the questions that I want us to, to think about. And again, you don't answer this out loud right now. But the first question is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Paul says it's the power of God unto salvation. But what is it? What is the gospel? If it's the hope of the world, we should know what it is. So the first question is, what is the gospel? Number two is, what did Jesus come to do? If I'm a follower of Jesus, it would be good to have an awareness of what did Jesus come to do, and not just individually, but we should all be on the same page. What did Jesus come to do? The third question is, what is church? What is church? You said, that's where I am. I'm, I, well, we'll talk about that. Is this church? What is church? What's God's definition of church? And then the last question is, what's, what, what's the mission of the church? Why do we exist? All right, everybody got those down. What is the gospel? What did Jesus come to do? What is the church and what is the mission of the church? And you may not know those answers. You may have opinions on those answers. And ultimately, all of us, we don't want just our opinions. We want to to look to Jesus to answer those questions. And so in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at those questions and hopefully all get on the same page as uh, together. But this morning, I want to introduce in Matthew chapter 4 verse 12. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm calling this message, Prepare for Landing. Prepare for Landing. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 says this, 
Now, when Jesus had been, uh, when when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, "The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles." The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, let's say this together. He began to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. This morning, God, for your word. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to gather around your word. God, we thank you that uh, we believe this morning that your word is living and active. God, we thank you. This is not just a, a book full of words that we read, but God, it's a book that reads us and transforms us. And so, God, we ask that you would now cause your word to become living in our hearts, God. We pray that it would come alive. God, we pray that we would be a people that are reformed as a community, God, not just around the natural things, but, Father, around the, the riches of your kingdom and what you came to do. And, Father, we thank you for it. Anoint me now, God supersede my natural abilities, which are so feeble. And God, I pray that you would give me the unction of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give every person an attentive and receptive heart, Father, that your word would fall on good soil today. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, one of the things that I think I probably miss the most is, uh, in this last year and a half or so, has kind of been the freedom around travel. And I know a lot of us are experiencing that again, that we're able to travel, able to fly again. It's kind of beginning to get normalized and hopefully will continue. But I don't know about you, but I love to travel. Who else loves to travel? I just feel like when I'm in an airplane and I'm coming in for a landing, uh, and I hear the captain's voice come on and say something like this, ladies and gentlemen, put your seat backs and tray tables in their full, upright, and locked position. We are preparing for landing. I don't know about you, but that just feels like therapy to me. Who else feels that way? You, some of you are like, no, I need therapy uh, before and after I fly, but, but some of us love to fly. And I love that thought of getting to travel, and I love that, that statement, prepare for landing. Uh, you know, if, if it's a really good trip, they say something like, uh, the flight attendants are going to be coming around the cabin distributing uh, customs cards. <laughs> Who likes customs cards? Now, I don't like the customs cards, but I, I like what customs cards mean because it means I'm about to go international. Who, who likes that? I don't know about you, but I just love getting to go to a different place. And, uh, you know, especially if it's something like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, prepare for landing. Uh, the temperature in Jamaica today is a perfect 75 degrees and the time is whatever. Uh, that, that is just good for my soul. Uh, and, and, you know, that thought of uh, preparation, really what the captain is doing is he is reorienting us to our destination. 
He's reorienting us. He's saying, you've come from this place, but now you're going to another place, and you need to reorient to the place that you are going. You need to be prepared. That may mean that if you left in Orlando and you're heading somewhere else, you may need to put your jacket on. That may mean that you have to adjust your clock because you're in a different time zone, but it is a reorientation to a new reality. Whatever the reality was where you left, you are now entering into a new reality. And what I want you to hear is that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. He is bringing us over this beautiful expanse of the Sermon on the Mount. If you could imagine the plane is flying over and we are preparing to land in this beautiful place of his teaching and of his truth and this this reality of life with God, but he's bringing us all in and he's saying, I want you to reorient to this new reality that I'm bringing you into. And I believe that's important because if we don't become reoriented to this reality, uh, we, we will approach it in the wrong way. You know, if you get off the plane and you think you're headed to Mexico, but you actually end up in Canada, how many of you know you're not going to be prepared for where you're going? You, you need to know where you're going. And so Jesus is telling us, Put your tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked position. I want you to reorient yourself. Get ready for the place that I'm taking you into. And ultimately, the place, he tells us right here, he says this word repent. That means reorient yourself. Change your thinking so that you can go to the place that I want you to go. You're going to have to reorient your mindset in order to enter into the place that I'm wanting to bring you. But notice what he says. He says, repent. And look at your Bible and and tell me what it says. Repent. You did bring your Bible, so you can look at that. And say, repent. Everybody say, repent. And then what's the the line after that? So you can go to heaven when you die. No. No. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus did not say, repent, and one glad morning when this life is over, you get to go to heaven when you die. No, here's what Jesus says. Repent, reorient yourself, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The pilot may say it this way, uh, repent because Jamaica is at hand. Reorient yourself because London is at hand. Grab your umbrella and your raincoat because where you're landing, you're going to need something different than where you came from. Or, or, you know, wherever you're heading, he's saying, I want you to reorient yourself for this place that I'm taking you. And I, I want you to understand this because if we don't understand this and we get into the Sermon on the Mount, nothing will make sense. Nothing will make sense. You're going to read stuff in the Sermon on the Mount, and you're going to go, this cannot be true. Love my enemies. Political enemies? No way. They're the problem with the world. People that have a different opinion, go the extra mile. No way, Jesus, you got to be crazy. He's, but he's, he's reorienting us. He's trying to change our thinking so that we can enter into life with God in charge. 
And that's what the kingdom of heaven is, life with God in charge. Now, here's the problem. We thought the gospel was believe in Jesus and you can go to heaven when you die. Now, let me tell you, that is true. I'm so grateful that we have the fullness of life with God in the future. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. We're coming in for a landing. You've got to get ready. You've got to get ready. And I want you to see that this is the message of the Bible. This is the message. I know that you may have heard me say it before, but, but I just have to keep beating this drum. Why? Because if we don't understand that our salvation is not just about where we go after we die, then we will miss out on what God wants to do in our lives here and now. And some people treat their salvation like, I've checked that box, I put my faith in Jesus, which in their minds, faith means some intellectual assent that has no bearing on their life here and now. It's kind of like saying, I believe in Japan. Just throwing something out but I'm not going there. How many of you know there's a difference between believing that Japan exists and wanting to move to Japan? And what Jesus is saying is it's not enough just to believe that that Jesus exists. If you believe he exists and who he says he is, you're going to reorient your whole worldview around him. The kingdom of God is not just a destination after our heart stops beating in our body. It is a worldview that reorients all of life. And how many of you know that ideas and messages have power? That they have power. Don't believe me, just go to Cuba. Go to Cuba today. Now, what is happening in Cuba? The messages that came out of a philosopher in France and in Paris and were pinned in Europe have now affected the reality on the ground in Cuba. Why? Because ideas have power. And the ideas we believe determine the life we live. And so if you think that the Bible just says, believe in Jesus, you go to heaven when you die and live how you want in the meantime, you've totally misunderstood the gospel. Now, let me say this. This is not your fault and not my fault, but Oftentimes, we dumb down the gospel in order to just get a decision. It's the, if you don't want to go to hell when you die, raise your hand. I'm, I'm on board. Yeah, I mean, I think we all should be. Or, or, you know, if you don't want to go to hell when you die, wiggle your left toe. I see that. Let's dumb it down as easy as it can possibly be. I told you at the beginning of 2020, I felt like the Lord put... Uh, a phrase in my heart that a defective gospel will produce deficient disciples. Why is the world the condition, in the condition that it's in? Because Christians think that the message that Jesus came to bring only affects life after we die rather than the here and now. And if we become dislocated from the reality that Jesus came to bring, our, our faith becomes useless and weak. Have you ever had a dislocated finger, it's pretty useless. That's how a lot of people's faith is. It's there, but it's not doing anything. It's kind of good for nothing. Why? It's dislocated. They think it's about just the time to come. And again, there is the time to come, but you're not there today. You're here. Okay. And so Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Now, I want you and I want us as a church to understand that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. Yes, it's the forgiveness of sins, but it's so much more than that. It is that you have a purpose, you have a new identity, you have a, a, a new direction, you have new inclinations, you have a new appetite. It changes all of life here and now. But, but oftentimes we, we miss this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Lord has begun to stir my heart over the last few years with the significance of this message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want to encourage you sometime. In your Bible reading, get, get a highlighter. And I, I like to use a purple highlighter for this. I highlight different themes. Anything about the blood of Jesus, I highlight it in red. Or about grace, I highlight it in red. Uh, anything about the Holy Spirit, I highlight it in orange. You can feel free to use my color code as well. It's not copyrighted, but anything about the kingdom, I highlight in purple. And here's what I've seen over a period of time highlighting things. I go, this is on every page. This is on every page. This message that Jesus came to bring is the whole message of the scripture. Why did Jesus speak it at this point? This is the thesis statement. He's beginning his ministry. And he's actually saying, even the context of this, the reason he went to the place where he went to say this statement, the Bible says that it might be fulfilled, that what might be fulfilled, the expectation that Israel had. What was their expectation? That one day God would restore his kingdom to the earth. That one day their Messiah would come. And Jesus says, it goes, he goes to this place that that might be fulfilled and he announces, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven has, has come to earth. Reorient your reality. And I, I want us to understand this, that we oftentimes miss the message of the kingdom. We miss the message of the kingdom. You say, well, if it's such a thing, how could I miss it? Just start paying attention to it. Start highlighting. Start As you go through the Bible, here's what I found. From the first page to the last page of the scripture, the kingdom of God is the theme. From the book of Acts, it opens with, with Jesus teaching his disciples all things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And the book of Acts closes with Paul in prison teaching about the kingdom of God. This is the message. This is the message. Now, how many of you remember uh, the movie Sixth Sense? Who remembers that? Uh, late 90s movie, some of you remember that. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, if you have not seen the movie some 20 plus years in now, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil it right now. But if you've seen that movie, you know it's about this, this boy that sees dead people and he's meeting with a psychologist played by Bruce Willis. And you watch this whole movie and do you remember that, that moment? The, you know, everybody remembers that I see dead people moment. But do you remember the moment when you find out Bruce Willis is dead? Who, who remembers that? Did anybody have somebody tell them that, that ending before you went to see the movie? My older brother. He, I mean, he's an older brother, and I think older brothers just get a sick pleasure out of you know, ruining things for their younger siblings. Um, and so he told me, I said, man, you ruined the whole movie. But there's this moment, I think, that he's seeing his, his wife, his widow, and, and this ring drops to the ground, and Bruce Willis realizes he's dead. And suddenly you realize... I've seen the whole movie, but I missed it. I missed it. And I want you to understand, that's the, 
That's the picture of the kingdom of God. We read the whole Bible and we often think it's about where I go when I die and I'm going to try to be a good person in the meantime. And, and how many of you know that's not that exciting? Why are so many young people leaving the church? Because we've made the gospel just about after you die. And you know one thing that young people aren't thinking about? Dying. Dying. But the gospel is not just about where you go when you die. It's about the kingdom of God coming here and now. Repent. Reorient your life. Take off some of the old things. Change your schedule, whatever it is. Why? Because heaven is available here and now. Now, when you believe that, everything else changes. When you believe that, the church begins to have some meaning. It's not just I'm uh, you know, trying to keep my salvation hanging by a thread. Now, suddenly, wow, this is, this is an embassy. This is, uh, we are ambassadors. Now I'm going to work, not just to make a living, but I'm, I'm in that place, manifesting the kingdom of God in that place. When I come into that place, I'm carrying the presence of God, the life of God. When you recognize that everything else changes. And yes, it's true that God forgives our sins, but God's on for a lot more than just forgiving your sins. It's kind of like micro versus macro. You remember economics class? There's micro, which is just about individuals and businesses, but there's macro. That's about the, the nations and the forces at work around the world. And the fact is that those things interact with one another, and the same is true in our salvation. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God forgives you. But that doesn't matter a whole lot to my daily life if I don't recognize what God is doing through the kingdom of God. And so in the weeks ahead, we are gonna, we're going to take this beautiful tour through the most profound teaching that the world has ever heard. I was reading this week from a secular uh, author who wrote a book called Dominion. And he's talking about, he's not even a believer in Jesus, but he's talking about how Jesus' life and teaching is the greatest event that has ever happened in history. It's the event that has changed all of history. I mean, it's the event that we set our calendars around, Jesus coming to the earth. And I believe that what is compelling a compelling vision for the church is not a, a group of religious people that meet on a Sunday morning and, and, and sing a little kumbaya and have a little weekly pick-me-up from the scripture. What is compelling is a vision that we have been sent in the power of the Holy Spirit to the earth to change the world. We're not called just to occupy a building for a couple of hours on a Sunday. We are called to change the world. We're called to change the world. So I want to give you a few characteristics of the kingdom. And I want you to jot these down. Each one of these could be a message in itself. But just quickly, I want to move through these. A few characteristics. If we're going to understand, if we're going to change our thinking, repent so that we can enter into the kingdom of God, what does the kingdom look like? And we as Americans in particular have a hard time sometimes understanding the kingdom because our whole culture was built upon throwing off a tyrannical king. And so we're going to have to work hard to understand. But the first thing I want you to see, this is very simple. The first thing about the kingdom is that the kingdom has a king. 
The kingdom has a king. You hear that, you may think, well, duh, Captain Obvious. But, but how many of you know that some people love the benefits of the kingdom, but don't want to come under the authority of the king? But in order to experience the benefits of the kingdom of peace and joy and purpose and freedom and, and life with a clear conscience of the past, you have to first come under the authority of the king. A couple of years ago, I, I had the opportunity to go to Dubai and I had seen advertisements. Who's seen something of Dubai? Perhaps a video or photos or, you know, it's kind of an Instagram hit uh, you know, all of the beautiful buildings and the contrast of the Burj Khalifa and uh, all of the it just uh, incredible buildings and, and what they have built basically in the desert. And I thought, wow, this is going to be incredible. But what I didn't realize until I got there is that all of that was the vision of a man. He is the Sheikh Mohammed. I've forgotten his, last, uh, his full name. Uh, I'm in America, so that's okay. But... Uh, Here's what I realized when I got there, they advertised the benefits. Come to Dubai. It's this futuristic, modern, business savvy city, beautiful beaches. They advertise all of the benefits. But in order to experience the benefits, you've got to come under the king. And that's true in the kingdom of God. In order to experience life with God, everybody has a longing for life to the full, but most people or many people never experience it because they're unwilling to come under the king. Now, why would I be unwilling to come under a king? Because if he's the king, then that means I'm not. And I don't know about you, but on the inside, I kind of want to be king. I kind of want to be in charge. Who, who else that will be honest enough to admit that? I kind of want the world to orient around my opinions and what I want in the flesh. And so the problem is, in order to come into the kingdom with God in charge, I have to submit what I want to what he wants. How many of you know the only thing that Jesus had to speak to more than once in all of Scripture was his own will? He, he never had to call Lazarus out of the tomb three times. He just said, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't have to speak to the wind and the waves three times. He spoke once and they were still. But when it came to his own will, his own humanity, that was the greatest challenge that Jesus ever had to face. The Bible says that three times he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that is true for every one of us. In order to experience life with God, we have to relinquish control. We have to relinquish control. You, you, you see, sometimes people talk about, well, uh, what's your opinion on politics or what's your opinion on sexuality or what's your opinion on, you know, economics? And, and I'm not saying that it's not right to have those discussions, but ultimately, if we live in the kingdom of God, what matters is not what I think. What matters is what he thinks. And, and so if I'm going to experience life with God, then I've got to relinquish my opinion. Now, the reality is, some people just won't want to do that. We, some people just won't want to do that. 
I love what Dallas Willard, the Christian philosopher, said. He said that hell is just the best that God can do for some people. Hell is just the best that God can do for some people because if they have spent their life resisting His authority and control, how loving would it be to bring them into a place where God's will is done for eternity? If you've spent your whole life resisting God's will, I want to have it my way. I want to make my decisions. I want to have my say in my life. The very best thing that God can do for you is to give you what you want forever. That's a sobering thought. But Jesus is a king. That's the declaration of salvation, that Jesus is Lord. So number one, the kingdom has a king. Number two, the kingdom has a domain. A domain. That means that there is a sphere. You cannot have a king without a kingdom, but you also can't have a king without a domain. And the Bible tells us that God's purpose has always been to extend his domain. The the scripture says that Jesus taught us to pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How much is God's will done in heaven? All the way, all the time, (laughs) right? How much is God's will done on earth? Sometime, someplace, sometime, (laughs) a little bit, (laughs) you know? Uh, Yeah, but there is a domain and wherever God is ruling, wherever Jesus is ruling, wherever the Holy Spirit is ruling, the kingdom of God manifests. That's why it's so awesome when we begin to worship God As we gather together, there's something that happens in the atmosphere. What is it? It's not just the music and the chord progression. It's that the Spirit comes in and suddenly everything else is driven out. Have you ever noticed? I have people tell me I came in, I was filled with, you know, I was so anxious. But when I just came into worship, wow, something lifted. Why is that? Because you're entering into the domain of the kingdom of God, the presence of God. It is his sphere of authority. Now, the Bible tells us that one day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But but right now, we as the church are the sphere where God is ruling in fullness. We should be a counterculture to the world because we are the people that welcome the rule and the reign of Jesus. Now, I know that may sound foreign to us. You know, there is a domain Who's ever been to King's Dominion? Some of, some of you Maryland uh, folk know what I'm talking about. Uh, King's Dominion. What is that saying? It's this domain of the King's domain. Now, that's a lot more than a, an amusement park. That's God's purpose, that the King's Dominion would be established on the earth. And we all understand that. I was talking this week to a friend of mine. Some of you know a guy named Lo who... Uh, has an outstanding sushi restaurant here in town, and he's opening up a new Filipino restaurant. And I was talking to him. I was thinking of you, Steph, as I was talking to him, but he was telling me, he said, I just want it to be different. He said, I, I want it to be a totally different experience. I, he said, I want it to be that when people step onto the property, that they just know this is different than any other place. I said, come on, Lo, that'll preach. What, 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 what is he talking about? He's talking about a domain. Now, let me tell you this. Every one of us is intended and created by God to have a domain. Uh, when we were 
created, God said, let them have dominion. Now that can sound like that's some heavy-handed, you know, dictatorial rule on the earth. But if we remember that we're all under the rule of Jesus, it reorients our understanding of what power and authority looks like. But how is God's dominion going to fill the earth? It's going to fill the earth through God's people. And so every time we bring our lives and our homes under the dominion of God, his kingdom comes. And that means that we've got to submit control, surrender control. The third thing I want you to see, I need to move quickly. Number one, the, the kingdom has a king. The kingdom has a domain. The third thing I want you to see is that the, king, the kingdom has a mission. The kingdom has a mission. What is the king's mission? I know I've already been talking about it. Is the king's mission just to rescue us off of this place? Now, that's a part of it. The, the Bible tells us that one day we will be caught up with him. But if you read the end of Scripture, the Bible says that we will reign on the earth forever. And so there will be a purifying work that will come. But God's purpose has always been that he would extend the culture of heaven onto the earth. Some of you are like, I'm not so sure if that's true. I thought this was, you know, rescue 911, get me out of here before this place burns. Again, read the Bible. Look at what the Bible says. God's intention was always to extend heaven onto the earth. Now, it's easier if my theology is I'm just going to get out of here because that means it doesn't really matter how I work. It doesn't really matter how I, you know, take care of my property. It doesn't really matter how I treat people because I'm just going to be out of here. But, but what God's intention has always been, he delegated Adam and Eve as his authority where? On the earth. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that the heavens and the heavens of heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth belongs to man. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we have total ownership, but it does mean that we have delegated authority, that we've been given authority. It's like my boys in their room. Now, how many of you know it's not their room because it's under my roof? Sometimes I have to remind them, your room is under my roof. So I've got authority over that room, right? Everybody tracking with me? But God's, and so God has authority over the earth, but he, he is wanting to extend heaven into earth. That means this, that where there's injustice, God wants to bring justice. Where there is suffering, God wants to bring healing. Where there's sickness, he wants to bring wholeness and, and, and restoration. He wants to bring heaven to earth. Why were people healed when Jesus showed up? Because how much sickness is there in heaven? Zero. And so when Jesus shows up, the Bible says he went about doing good and healing how many? All who were sick. Why did he do that? He was demonstrating there's a new realm that has showed up on the earth. Why do we call it signs and wonders? Wonders because it makes you wonder. I wonder what that is. I wonder why does that happen? That guy used to be blind. Now he's, now he can see. I wonder what happened, but we also call it signs because signs demonstrate that you are entering into a new territory. Some of you passed some signs on your way in here today. Maybe you live in Orlando 
and you passed a sign that said, Welcome to Winter Park. A little peacock, right? What is that? It's demonstrating you're entering into a new territory. The Bible says, These signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What becomes compelling about the church is not just a change to your schedule on a Sunday morning. What becomes compelling about the church is that when you go, these signs shall follow. There's a transformation. There's a new reality that is showing up. That's what God is wanting to bring. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, that you've made us kings and priests to our God. Why is Jesus the king of kings? Because he's made us to be kings and queens. And so he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he says, you've made us to be kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. The Bible says this in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 17, that those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. What does that mean? It means that there's going to be a new reality, the kingdom of God coming into your life. And so we have a mission. You have a mission. To bring the kingdom of God into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into your family, into your house. It comes from within us. Jesus said, don't say, don't look here and there and say, where's the kingdom? You know, in another country, you have to go to a physical place. He's saying, when the spirit comes into you, you become the new Jerusalem. You become the place where the power flows out from. So don't have the mentality, I just got to get you to my church building. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring people to the church building, but how many of you know if there's no power in us, it's not going to be very exciting in the building? Because I've been to the building and there's no power in the building. Okay? What becomes exciting is when I believe God's kingdom lives in me, I'm walking in kingdom authority, kingdom power. I have the ability to change the atmosphere around me because of God's Spirit living in me. So we're called to bring the kingdom of God to earth. That becomes a, a much more compelling opportunity for evangelism. Have you heard the good news? You won't experience the life you long for by getting a bigger paycheck, a bigger house, a newer car. The life you actually long for is the life that God wants to give you, and you can experience it right here, right now. How'd you like to experience that? Can I pray for you? Wow, there's peace. Wow, there's joy. Wow, there's, I feel love. I feel freedom. What is that? You've just entered into a new reality. Put your tray, tray, tray table and seat back in its upright and locked position. Prepare for landing. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Whoo, man, that, Jeff almost clapped on that one. That was good. <laughs> so number three, the kingdom has a mission. Number four, the kingdom has a government. I got to bring this in for a landing pretty quickly. The kingdom has a government. The kingdom has a government. How does a king rule his, his domain? One king cannot rule his whole domain alone. He must appoint a government. You know, when we get a new administration, a new president, although he's not a king, he does appoint a cabinet or a government. And oftentimes, especially in other countries, the term they use for those 
rule, that ruling body or that, that body that is representing the authority of the president or of the king, they call them ministers, right? The, the minister of uh, tourism, the minister of the interior, the minister of fill in the blank. And Jesus here, as he's preaching the kingdom of God, the very next thing that he does is he goes around and he starts selecting followers. He starts calling people. I want you, Peter, I want you to come follow me. I want uh, James and John, you guys come follow me. What was he doing? He was building his government. He's going to give them authority and they are going to continue to extend his mission around the world. And in fact, even the, the, the fact that Jesus chose 12 apostles is symbolic of the 12 elders or the 12 tribes that governed Israel. So what I want you to see is that the disciples are not just kind of like some really good Christians. They are actually a governing body. They're, they're a governing body. And so are we as the church. I know some of you are like, I'm trying to catch up with you this morning, Justin. But you know that when Jesus says, I will build my church, do you know what the word that he uses when he says church is? It's the word ecclesia. Do you know what an ecclesia is? It's not a religious term. It's a government term. Ecclesia means a ruling body, an assembly. It's kind of as, as when we would say, you know, Congress is in session or the Supreme Court is in session. They are the ecclesia. They are the governing body. Yes, they gather together, but they are gathering together to influence what happens the rest of the time. And, and Jesus says this, the two times he mentions the church he does so in the context of authority. Now, some of you may be like, I'm checking out, Justin, because I'm just trying to get some good coffee, a weekly pick-me-up, and go back to life as normal. But, but what, I'm, what I'm putting out to you today is something that will change the world. It will change your reality. Some of you have been in church your whole lives, and you're like, this is not that exciting. I'd rather go to a karaoke bar. Because there we can sing... Sweet Home Alabama. And you guys never sing Sweet Home Alabama at this church. Okay? But when we understand that, that this is not a Sunday morning karaoke, this is a, a gathering, a governmental assembly in order to change the world around us. People start paying attention when the Supreme Court comes in session. Now, they don't have the authority on their own to issue a ruling, but when they come together, there is authority. Why did Jesus say where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst? He's saying you've met the quorum for authority to release the power of God onto the earth. When you come together, Jesus said, I have given you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind where on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice where the authority lies. The authority lies on earth. God has delegated his authority to his church. That means this. 
that when we have problems in our world, the answer will not come from the White House. The answer will not come from the White House. Now, I'm not saying that we should not care about what happens there. I'm talking about what is, what is uh, a first importance. What is a first importance? We live in a democracy. The authority lies with the people. And I don't know if you recognize this, but people vote according to their hearts. How do you change people's hearts? Only Jesus can change their hearts. You can't get changed through the White House or through the Supreme Court or, or, or through the, the legislative branch. Where does change ultimately come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit coming into my heart. i got to move fast. There's a government. We're the government of God. So when we move onto Lee Road, we're not just setting up a building. We're setting up an embassy. Let me tell you, there's going to be some transformation that's going to come into that community, and I'm declaring it today that where there has been fatherlessness, the Spirit of God is going to come, and there's going to be a cry, Abba, Father, the brokenness of the world because of the brokenness of humanity will be healed. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come. Where, there, where poverty and addiction has ruled people's lives, Breakthrough will happen, not because we've set up some slick nonprofit organization, but because we're bringing the kingdom of God. The church is a lot more than a 501c3 nonprofit organization. In fact, that may be part of the problem. We've been nonprofit, and I don't mean financial profit, I mean P R O P H E T. We've lost the prophetic voice, we've lost the prophetic call. And we wonder why the world is the way it is. And we get upset at people that are far from God when they act like people who are far from God. Rather than being who God's called us to be. I've got, five, I've got three more points. Ooh, no, this isn't... I'm looking at the kids team back there. They said, we don't have time. <laughs> And then they said they're going to be taking sign-ups for next week after service. <laughs> Fifth thing I want you to see is that the kingdom has a constitution. The kingdom has a constitution. I know I'm throwing a lot at you today, but the kingdom has a constitution. A constitutional monarchy. Now, here in America, our constitution begins with this. We the people. We the people. In the kingdom of God, the constitution begins this way. I the king. Or, or, or maybe more, more precisely, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And God rules according to his word. Why? Because kingdoms work with words. Kingdoms work with words. Again, we don't have a king here in America, but how does the president do work? Through words. He signs things that become law. And God governs his kingdom through his word. The Bible says this, that he has elevated his word above his own name. That means this, that I can take his name, I can say I'm a Christian, but if my life doesn't match up with his word, 
or at least if I'm not seeking to bring my life under his authority, I'm not living under his government because the government is established through the Constitution. That's why it's important that we know the word. Why? Because more important than our rights under the Constitution or the Bill of Rights is the, the Word of God. In fact, fun fact, almost every constitution in the United States, every state constitution, references God time and time again. Why? Because outside of a recognition of God, there is no, no source of authority and government. And so we need to know the Word of God. We need to speak the Word of God. Number six, the kingdom has citizens. Kingdom has citizens. Not only is there a king and a domain and a constitution, but the kingdom has citizens. Every one of us were born a citizen of a country. You were born a citizen, most of us, of the United States of America. Maybe some of you were born with another citizenship. And your citizenship gives you your rights and your responsibilities as a citizen. If you don't think you have responsibilities, don't pay your taxes. Okay, you have some responsibilities, but you also have rights. Why? Because you're a citizen. But when we come to Christ, we are transitioning into a new kingdom. That's why Jesus said this, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they've been born again. So when you come to Christ, you're not only having a change of eternal destination, you're having a change of citizenship. That means this, that even more than my American citizenship, I am, I am seeking the good of the kingdom of God. My identity is not just as an American. I'm not an American Christian. I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a kingdom person who is an American as well. But I've got a new citizenship. So what is baptism? Baptism is the inauguration ceremony into citizenship in the kingdom. It's not, it's not just a little, you know, kind of take a dip in the pool moment. It is, it is symbolic that I'm coming out. I'm coming from my old citizenship into a new kingdom, into a new kingdom. And I'm going to have a new way of life. I'm going to have new thoughts. Everything that I was in the past, I'm laying down so that I can enter into the new. You know, in America, when you become an American citizen, you have to renounce foreign citizenship. Some of you next are like, yes, you can be a dual citizen. Okay, yes, we're dual citizens then between our natural country, but our, our eternal citizenship trumps that. We, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Number seven is this, that the kingdom has a culture. The kingdom has a culture. Every kingdom has a culture. Of course, in America, there's many cultures. But when you go to another place, why do people go to Paris? The culture. The, yes, to eat. <laughs> to eat. And when you get off the plane, I, I went to Paris. Jen and I went to Paris for our 10-year anniversary. And I came back, I told people, it's way more French than I expected. <laughs> It's actually like super French over there. Everybody spoke French and ate croissants and went to the corner cafe. And I just went, this is different. What is it? It's their culture. And when you come into the kingdom of God, you get a new culture. 
Why do we speak in tongues? We speak in tongues because when you come into a new kingdom, you get a new culture and a new language. You get a new language. And so we can communicate directly back to the king. What is prayer? It's communication back to the king. King, we need some help down here in Winter Park. Send some reinforcements. But there is a culture, and God wants his culture to come. What we want in the building as we move into the building is not just great paint, great interior design, great coffee, cool kids space. All of that will happen because you're here. Okay, but what we want more than that is freedom and joy and love and a warmness in the atmosphere. Why? Because that's the culture of heaven. That's the culture of heaven. And regardless of what culture we've come from in the natural, when we come to Christ, we take on the culture of Christ. I want to ask you if you would just to stand to your feet.